This is a new podcast from 6A Church called Questions, where I, along with Jim Huntimer and others, will sit down each week and take a look at some of the questions that people have about God, Christianity, the Bible, and so much more. Be sure to leave any questions you have for each episode on the comment section for that episode, and enjoy. Here we are, Questions Podcast, episode four, I think. It's our fourth episode. I think so. So we are, uh, as we, we actually, we started this just before all of the, uh, all of the COVID-19 stuff started happening in audio format. And so we decided, hey, let's get, let's do this live on Facebook and record it as a podcast to make things simple. Let's try to do two things at once. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Turns out that might not be so simple. So I'm going to try to stop touching the table. So the camera stops shaking, and uh, we try to try to make this since it's since it's live a little more conversational, a little more a little more uh, on the fly, dealing with people's questions. So um, the topic we're talking about today is the knowledge of God, or it's kind of the idea of morals, right? Right. So now where where do they come from? Now where why, do, why do they exist? Why does some why why do so many cultures have the same set of morals? Right, we can. So we're going to talk about that and uh, wrestle wrestle that into the ground as best we can. But we also want to open it up for questions that you might have uh, as we as we go on. So I think I saw Shad might be joining us too. I'm not sure. I saw saw somewhere Shad's name pop up that he might have liked a post or something. So Shad, if you're on there, hi, good to have you. Um, but what questions do you have in general? Maybe you have questions that have come up over the course of the last week, and we can do our best to... Um, what's it called when you postulate? Is that the word? Sure. <laughs> hypothesize. We can hypothesize some answers. We may not have actual answers, but we can pretend. And Jim might actually have an, an actual well, answer. And yeah. I'll say something and try to sound smart. Yeah, well... That all remains to be seen. So, <laughs> so um, if you have questions, go ahead and uh, put them up in the comments. I wish I could see everyone who's viewing. Can I see that here? Well, we can we can get started just with a few thoughts. the I, The idea that's presented in in the book is that everybody has has morals. Everybody has ethical ideas. Everybody has opinions about right and wrong. The question is, is there, is there an absolute if, that if God exists, he's the one who provides an absolute uh, foundation so, for, so that we can build our own moral system and know and have an absolute knowledge that there is a right and wrong. Um, because people argue about that all the time. I don't think I'm making much sense now. So, um, and the I, but as as we, you know, in our current culture, everybody feels like their ideas are right, and we generally adopt our sense of right and wrong based on what we want right and wrong to be. Okay. Sometimes it's very selfish. Sometimes <laughs> it's very altruistic. We're only thinking about our society. Okay. So, what would be an example of? Of a selfish, a selfish right and wrong, that we well, might be doing today. Something that, say, a dictator of a of a country establishes this is the law, and the law is just designed to protect him and his rich friends. 
that would be an example of of uh, a selfish right and wrong. Um, another example is is what if I want to do something, I, I should be able to do it. Therefore, I believe that it's okay to do. Okay, so um, so there may be there may be some instances where that is um, it feels right to me. But it could cause greater damage to mm-hmm. someone else or society, so that would make that would make that a selfish a selfish right. Right. I mean, the exa- probably the biggest example is over the last fifty years how much uh, the idea of of sexual morality has changed in our culture, and it's changed because people have decided that they want to do things differently, and that the the uh, moral standards are flexible, and they, they're they not really right and wrong. They're just people's opinions, and other people can have different opinions, and once that different opinion grows to enough people, it becomes the norm. Okay, so then what might be an example of an altruistic right or wrong that you said earlier? Well, one thing that almost every culture has is um, a a ban against murder. That would be a good one. Now, they may define murder differently, but almost every culture uh, has some kind of understanding that if you you murder somebody as opposed to killing them in self-defense or in war or any other exceptions they might think of, it's wrong and you are liable to punishment for that and and the punishment is right because you're defying something that is pretty much universally accepted so virtually every every culture or society around the world um, has a, has a law about murder right maybe not every but almost it changes in some cultures you know in some cultures you're allowed you know you're allowed to do away with some people so to right. speak to seek vengeance, um, uh, you know, if they kill your relative, you can kill them back. Or if they're from a different ethnic group than you are, it's okay to kill them. Uh, that happens in a lot of lot of wars around the world, where it's wrong to kill us, but it's okay to kill the other people because they're not as valuable as we are. But kind of a big a big hot button topic lately has been the idea of imperialism. And um, how we, we as a society, an American society or Western society, should not be imposing our morals on on uh, on other cultures around the world. Yeah, and and that takes many forms. Um, particularly, you know, as Christians, we're aware of the fact how. Uh, you know, 300 years ago, missionaries would go into countries and thinking they were doing the right thing would try to completely change the culture of those people to to where they were American or British. And, you know, missionaries no longer do that because they realize it's not necessary. You can, you can be somebody in an Asian culture or an African culture and still be a believer. And so missionaries have stopped doing that and realizing that those were nothing more than uh, individual opinions that they were expressing. So um, how then, I mean, how do we, how do we decide which 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 morals are the right ones to adopt worldwide, and which ones are cultural? Right, and that that's really a huge question. Uh, technically, when you have moral standards or you have rights, it's whoever has the power to grant those rights and to enforce it. 
You know, if you have a dictator, the dictator can pretty much establish it any way he wants. In our country, we we have a thing called the Bill of Rights, where certain rights are so important in our culture, then other people can make them up. If there's just a naturalistic understanding of how the human race came to be, it's all random anyway. Therefore, uh, there are no absolute laws. Uh, yeah, so that's just survival of the fittest, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> whoever whoever has the whoever has the power, the ability to control the most people, the ability to dominate or domineer the the largest group of people. They're the one that, they're the ones that the, that decide, but that doesn't make that right. Right. I mean, that's what essentially what terrorists do. They they don't have enough ability to just convince people to follow their system of values so they try to create fear through violence to convince people to let them do whatever they want to do and let them be in control of who's right and wrong and what values we need to adopt okay so um how the i mean what how do we, I mean, how do societies, I mean, we know how societies tend to do it, but how do we actually figure out what, what is right? What is true, what is true right and what is true wrong? What are the things that are truly right, truly wrong? And how do we know that the people who are saying this is truly what's right and this is truly what's wrong are able to answer that question? Absolutely. Right. Well, if, if God doesn't exist, there is no answer to that. Okay. It's, it's just, again, whoever has the power to enforce their way of doing things. Um, and so, but if God does exist, then he's the one who tells us what's right and wrong because we believe he has greater knowledge than we do. And so we trust him and, and we, we can see it in practice. You look at you know, I mean, there's plenty of things that the Christian church over through history have done that were clearly wrong, but it's, it can be easily demonstrated that what they were doing was contrary to the things that God said, and that's why they, they were wrong. Um, however, you also look at the church when they're trying to apply biblical standards to their lives, they're constantly doing what is good, and they're doing what is good for their friends, for their neighbors. They're constantly sacrificing themselves and their self-interest for what's good for other people because God tells them that. And so the nature of, of God's existence is the fact that we have a standard that we can trust because it's absolute. So then what about, what about people you know, in parts of the world that don't have God's word, don't have the Bible, they don't have they don't have anything or anyone that's taught them this is what's right and this is what's wrong. How do they how do they embrace the right right? Yeah, the, the way that, that I've always heard this phrased is is what if somebody's never heard of God's law? How can God judge them? And God actually addresses that, or the Apostle Paul addresses that in, in the book of Romans, chapter 2, where, where he teaches us that, that for the people who have God's law, God uses that as a standard. And of course, he says, none of us ever match that standard, so, we have, so God provides a way for us to, to know him and to be part of his kingdom uh, through, through atonement, through what Jesus did on the cross. However, there are people who 
never heard of God's law. And so in Romans chapter 2, he says they have a law unto themselves because every culture has laws and moral standards. And the fact is that they break their own moral standards, and that's the basis for God's judgment, not on whether they're breaking his standards, but their own standards. And the fact is everyone disobeys their own standards and actually needs a way to to overcome the fact that they've fallen short of what they themselves expect. So, so then, could you argue... Even right now, um, because we live we live in a post Christian society, that's what a lot of people say. Um, so it's art. It's it's easy to be easy to argue that there are a lot of people in America that have never heard God's law. Um, I've even heard I've heard people talking about that there are lots of people in America when they have conversation never really heard of Jesus or or know what Jesus did. They may know the name. But they don't know who Jesus was or or what he did. So I think you could potentially argue that there are a, a, a significant group of people in our country that don't know what God's law is. So if they if they then create their own moral standards and they create their own moral law, um, but they they fail to live up to that, you're saying that even. Even uh, even somebody who creates their own moral standards, maybe in our American society, isn't going to. They're going to break their own moral law, fail to live up to it, and they'll be judged by that. Right. God. God's fair. He'll judge people according to their understanding of right and wrong, and but He also knows the character of, of people. I mean, we we see it all over the world. People are constantly doing terrible, terrible, terrible things. They know they're wrong, but but they're doing them, and and it's. It's almost the, the nature of, of life we see in every aspect of life, violence and, and uh, unfairness and uh, things. And we see it particularly in, in human nature. There are times when people are very, very noble, but there are also times when they're very selfish. And, and God is gracious, will judge them by their own standard. And the point isn't that they're being judged. The point is that they recognize that they don't meet their own standards. And so they need help to provide them whatever the goal of their religious system is. In ours, it's, it's uh, living eternally in God's presence, being part of his kingdom. And, um, and they need help. We know as believers that we can't get there on our own because we'll always fall short. But God provides a way. And that's one of the unique things about the Christian faith is that, is that it's the only faith in which God recognizes you're going to fall short of, of what your goal is. But if you trust me, I will get you here. I will get you to me to live with me forever and and to be part of my family and and all the things that he that are included in his promises. So I see Steve Hotra has joined us. Hi Steve. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? He uh this is normally where he does music lessons. So we're we're in we're in his space uh, as we're sitting here in the coffee room doing that, but fun to have you join us for uh, our questions podcast. But um I see Shad. Shad has commented on the video. I don't know if I can, if I can see his comments. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to open that real quick just to make sure Shad is in the right place, so that he's not getting left out in case he's looking. Because I couldn't get the feed to work, so he might be, he might be trying to watch the, uh, the wrong feed. 
but I can't see that. So, now, are you familiar with uh, the three laws of robotics? Isaac Asimov's laws? Yeah, yeah I don't know that I can necessarily re- recite them. Um, I, kn- I know um, one has, has to do that the robot will never, will never harm another, a human being. Okay. Um, unless harming a human being will save the life of a human being is something of that nature. I think that's a, something like the second law. And the third law is, uh, boy, I can't, I can't really remember. And one uh, of them is taking a command from a human or something take, like that. Right, that would cause him. Yeah, he, the robot always obeys what the human tells him, but, but he can't take a command that would cause him to, to harm a human being. Um, and... He can't harm a human being unless that human being is harming a human being, I think. Yeah, something along those Yeah, but he's also gone a step further where robots uh, want to create the law that you can't, the robot can defend himself if somebody's trying to hurt the robot. And that, he's not allowed to do that under the three laws. <laughs> uh, but but there, in some of his novels, he's had robots try to take it that step further where they have the right of self-defense. Okay. Well, I was I was thinking about it um, as we're as we're talking w- about this idea. Those those three three laws of robotics are are hardwired in the in right. the hardware of the robot. Right. So it's in the firmware. I think would probably be the technical way to put it. Um, Dorian says she lost us. I think we're still live. So hopefully you can get us back. But um, Facebook is showing me that we're still live. But could you argue? Would you argue? Maybe he even got that idea from from this that that there are laws that are hardwired in the firmware of all humans. Yeah, i I think you can. I think you can see that by looking at, at all different cultures that there are things that cultures have in in common, um, particularly when it comes to you know the way people treat their family. In all cultures, family is is important, and and you see things like this that are just that are just common. Um, you know, you don't steal from mm-hmm. other people. Um, you, you know, we talked about we talked about the idea of murder. Um, you you see uh, some of the Ten Commandments, for mm-hmm. instance, in like you a, know, adultery worldwide. is pretty much is pretty much condemned. Not in every single culture, but right. most. Right. Um, so there are there are a few there are a few laws that seem to be, even though they're not uh, not drawn together. There's no no overarching teacher that has gone around the world and taught these different cultures. These are the three basic laws of humanity that you have to abide by. But somehow, um, somehow cultures do abide by three or four or five really basic laws. Right. So. Um, and I, I, I would argue, I argue that that's, that was put there by God. God created us that way. Um, but I think it has to do with, with being made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. That, that we, because we're made in God's image, he would have made us, he would have made us, hardwired us with, with at least some standards of his character, right? Right. Because we're not just made in God's image and appearance. Right. 
Yeah, it's the, in fact, the character of God is is more important than our appearance because I can't say that God looks like me, uh, <laughs> but He wants me to have His character, mm-hmm. and, and that's extremely important. And with the idea that that there is a God who is good, we realize that the character he wants me to have, even if I don't want to have certain aspects of that character, it's good for me to do that. And that's what motivates me uh, to to change. And it, it's what what helps me to navigate uh, the, around the people who are near me. Uh, because we all have to interact with people, and it's our moral system, it's our ethical system that really controls how we interact with people. So, um, if I'm trying to draw some things together here, Amy Amy Gardner's joined us. Good to have you again. She was on for a few minutes last night with the Bible study, but good to have you here this afternoon, Amy, up in Longview. Even if you are a Michigan fan, we're glad you're here. <laughs> but um, so we uh, we believe we believe that these. These laws are are written somewhere on 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 the minds on the conscience of all humans. I think that we would probably teach that with no problem. Um, how do you explain? I mean, how do you explain if there is no if there is go blue? <laughs> You're funny. So um, if there is no if there is no God then there's no reason to have any kind of moral absolute. It's just every man for himself or every country for themselves or whatever is just going to keep the best peace, I guess, would be maybe maybe a way to put it. But but the fact that we the fact that we even have one one moral law maybe that um that is global, like murder. One one moral law that that all around the world everyone tends to abide by. What, is that evidence for God? Oh, my phone just died, I think. Yep. So we're off. This thing's not working to charge.
Sorry about that. We're back somewhere. I don't know where now. <laughs> so uh, let's go back here, find the link. This has been a, uh, a one of those days. A technical blunder day. Victoria has joined us. Good afternoon, Victoria. All right, so this will be a fun one to edit. Hello, hello back at you. So, um, where were we? Um, I don't even remember where we were. I, I don't either. We were talking about something about the Bible or Jesus or yeah. something like that. Well, you know, maybe a way to bring this home would be to look at our own personal interactions with other people. Let's okay. take the example where, you know, you just really want to uh, tell somebody about your faith and your relationship with God, and they say, oh, you can't impose your, your faith on me, and they don't want to do that. And so what Scripture actually tells us to do is we give our testimony through the way we behave, through the way we treat other people. We have the, uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, as an example of the kind of character that God gives us. And what does it say right after the fruit of the Spirit? It uses the phrase, against which there is no law. So character, when we take God's moral and ethical standards and translate them into our character and we treat people according to those standards, there's no law against that. People okay. don't oppose it. They never say, oh, stop loving me, or stop treating me so nice, or why are you apologizing to me, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. They just don't want us to in, infringe on their sense of, of uh, their whatever religious beliefs they want to have. And so the way we, we accomplish that is by using God's standards and translating them into our behavior, and that opens the door for people to wonder, well, what's behind this behavior? Why are you like this? Why are you so nice? Okay. So I don't know if anyone has any questions. I don't know if anyone is here who was listening to the other. Oh, there's Amy and Vanjie. So um, you guys have any questions about... Why about absolute moral law? Why is there? Why is there? How can there possibly be a uh, an absolute moral law? Something like that. Yeah, and and I think there's a real difference in the way people talk about morality and ethics and standards, and the way people behave according to those standards. We see some uh, ethical standards in the world that actually cause people to uh, behave in really bad ways. Uh, you know, they, they kill for their standards, and they're, they're sometimes taught to, to do things. They're taught to steal to benefit their organization that they believe in. And, and those, the way the behavior comes out of their standards says something about how valid their standards really are. 
you know, like like oh, a number of years ago, the the radical environmental movement in Oregon, a small group of people were were actually setting fires to equipment and bombing places, and and actually some people died in in some of those instances because of the the values that they believed. Can those values be considered absolute standards? No, because because they're destructive and they're negative. So then, why why can't why can't we create our own morals? Why are, what what makes that what makes it so what's what's so wrong or so bad about us as individuals being able to say, well, this is what's right for me. And I'm just going to do what's right for me. And as long as what's right for me doesn't really hurt you or affect you in a negative way, then um, why why is that why is that a problem for us to be, to want to decide our own our own morals? Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm fundamentally flawed. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, Paul addresses this. It's it, it's it's our nature, what the Bible calls our fallen nature, where he says, intellectually, I know the right thing to do, and that's what I want to do, but I don't do it. I do what I know I shouldn't do. And I think every there's not a person in the world who can't say that they have done things that they knew they shouldn't do. It's just part of human nature, and that's why we need somebody to rescue us from that. It's why we need a redeemer. Um, and <clears throat> because, you know, the standards, just because we can't keep the standards that God teaches us don't mean that they're good, because we know that when we don't keep them, the, the outcome, the consequences are, are not as good as if we'd followed those standards. Okay, so so just because just because something is difficult or maybe even impossible. <laughs> yeah. Just because something just because something is challenging doesn't mean that's not the right thing to do. Right. And we see difficult choices all the time in life. So so I think you could I think you could probably argue that that a lot of what we see in the world around us is based on convenience. And that a lot of the a lot of even the morals that we're creating or trying to create are based around either convenience or pleasure, and we we want to make th- we want to we want to make it as easy as possible in society to do what we want to do, and and not have anyone give us any kind of friction or resistance when we're not doing those things. Right, uh, but there are consequences, and those consequences can sometimes be dire. I mean, you can take a, a simple situation, um, like you're you're buying a meal at a, at a fast food place, and you notice the person gives you at the counter gives you back too much change, and there's an ethical dilemma: Do I give it back or do I keep it? Because that person doesn't know, mm-hmm. and I think most of the time we tend to keep it, even though we know that's not the right thing to do. But there are consequences particularly for that person who at the end of their shift is going to have to answer for the fact that they're they're going to be short in their register. But there are also consequences in doing the right thing. You give it back. Oh, I'm sorry, you gave me too much. Uh, Here you go. And they're stunned because that usually doesn't happen. But what happens the next time you walk into that restaurant and that person sees you? They're glad to see you. Mm -hmm. There are some positive consequences to doing the right thing, even in those little things. So when we when we act in accordance with God's moral standards, and we treat other human beings in accordance with moral standards, then we're we're actually we're actually 
representatives of God by our behavior, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. So, so there's there's a great benefit, and and not just a personal benefit, but a kingdom of God benefit, and and choosing to even when it's culturally um, inconvenient to to abide by God's moral laws. There's a great benefit for a higher purpose than ourselves to abide by those moral laws. Right. So um, I'm going to give you a, a chance to ask questions. What questions do you have? And we'll, uh, we'll give you some time to respond. We don't, we're not going to fill up all the time today with, with just our talking, but we want to give you a chance to ask your questions about, uh, about this topic, about what's right and wrong, how do we decide what's right and wrong, Chad said he was watching the wrong video and can't get sound on my computer. Hopefully we get it figured out. Amy says, how do you get people to understand that giving back the money is the right thing? How do we, how do we, help, how do we help people who wouldn't do that do the right? How do you help people do the right thing who don't want to do the right thing, I guess is the bigger question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a really good, really good question. Um, you know, I mean, the first, you know, Point is that it's not necessarily about the other person. It's about us and building our character and reinforcing our character. But when somebody else notices it, I mean, they'll mock you sometimes. <laughs> I never would have done that. And they'll right. laugh at you for being honest. But I would simply go back to my values and, and say, well, yeah, but I value my integrity more than, than that little bit of change that I got out of this. Uh, you know, it only takes one thing to lose your integrity, and yet that is what, that's the most important foundation stone for, for your reputation in the community and in business and in relationships. You know, your integrity. And those of us who don't value integrity, there are great, great consequences to be had, and there are great rewards to be had for being a person of integrity that, that you can trust. You can say to that person, hey, you just saw the proof that if you needed to trust me, you could. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think part of my answer to that question would be it wouldn't be so much, um, you know, logical. It would be it would be more just from a from a vantage point of change, and that uh, the person you have the most control over changing is yourself, hmm. and yeah. so. Uh, it's very hard to change somebody else. It's especially hard to change somebody else who doesn't want to change. Correct. Yeah. Good and point. And so, if you know, the the best thing I can do in those situations is is lead by example, live by example. I'm I'm going to do the right thing, even when the right thing is unpopular. And hopefully, at some point, that will that my example will 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 be a witness or a testimony to that person that there's a different way and. And maybe they'll experience some of the consequences of their because a lot of times it's it's escalatory, right? When you make one when you make one moral decision that goes against God's way, it kind of leads you down a slippery slope. Uh, of it, it can lead you down a slippery slope of making consecutively uh, worse bad decisions, and and then someone may find themselves in a situation where they they want to be different, and you having been a witness or a testament to someone who lives by the right path or lives by the right morals has the opportunity because you've led by example, lived by example to, to help them leave, live a little bit different lives. So it may not be as much about trying to help other people do the right thing as it is just 
we need to do the right things ourselves. Right things ourselves. Right. Even when we're mocked, and even when our our culture gives us uh, has negative consequences for us, and and even wants to punish us. Um, but you know, another aspect would be to think about how you're affecting. If you have children, for instance, how are you being a role model to your children? Because something a simple little act of honesty can. It can have a huge impact on your child watching that. Or, and this can even have a bigger impact, I think, that when you do something wrong and realize it, that you, you know, because we often do that without even thinking. And, and you say, oh man, that wasn't right. I made a mistake. I was wrong. That has a huge impact on your child when they're listening to you because they usually know you did something wrong and Mm -hmm. when you apologize it tells them it's okay for them to apologize they don't have to try to lie about it and cover it up Mm -hmm. yeah so good question amy thanks for thanks for asking that any other questions i don't know if shad shad can you hear us now do you have a question or thought i know you shad likes apologetics and these kinds of conversations he might have a different perspective uh, Amy says, what about bad language? Somebody else just went live, one of my friends, so i got to get that out of here. Um, what about bad language? It, it really seems that it's okay to swear. It's hard for me to understand why it seems to be normal. So I know Jim's got a really good answer to this, so I'll let him do that in just a second. But I think um, part of that, part of that uh, is growing up in in a christian culture or growing up in the bible belt or growing up you know i, I grew up in the midwest central you know the uh or south southeast ohio not quite you know the heart of the bible belt but um but it just wasn't culturally culturally appropriate there to to say most most any swear words and then you know certainly a lot of the ones that are that are popular now would have been way outside <laughs> outside our just our comfort zone because that was how the culture was and and it wasn't even it wasn't just within the church or within Christian people it was just the way culture was but now out here on the west coast it's there we hear more and more language on a more consistent basis that would have been highly offensive to people in my and the uh, my town growing up so Amy says, "So sorry you had to live there." Ha. Yeah, that's funny. So, but Jim, what do you? How about uh, what about people who use bad language? Well, the Gospels made a huge impact when Jesus was teaching about what makes a person unclean, and he said, "What makes you unclean isn't what you put into your body; it's what comes out of your mouth, because what comes out of your mouth is a reflection on what's going on inside." And and so I. I just try to let myself be saddened when I hear people use uh, vulgar language because I know it's a reflection that you know they they have struggles going on inside them. That's why they have to resort to that kind of language, and so I I try not to put myself into a, a judgmental attitude, but but realize it's it's a reflection of of something that that they really need it attended to. And maybe by being a friend, I can, I can help over time uh, bring that up and maybe do some real good. Uh, but I've, I remember when I was in the Army, and of course you get a lot of foul language right. in the Army, um, but I made, I made the choice that I, I wouldn't use any vulgar language or anything that, that sounded vulgar. And 
several times people would ask me why, and I'd get a chance to explain what that meant to me in non-judgmental terms. And I found that once they understood that, they were my my friends and and comrades. They were they tried really really hard to control the things that they said when they were around me out of respect. I. In, in our uh, room in, in Korea, we had another Christian in the room who, as soon as he walked into the room the first time, the guys in the other bed were, were talking, using vulgar language, and he walked up to them and says, I'm a Christian, I don't want you to use that language around me. And of course, they called him Deacon Bob behind his back. Uh, <laughs> they called me JC to my face. One was a derogatory nickname, and one was actually a nickname with re- respect, and mm. and that made a huge impact on on me. So, yeah. So, what other questions do you have? Yeah, feel free to ask us some questions. We might stay on a few minutes longer than than after four o'clock, since we had so many technical difficulties and we lost so much time there in the middle, but. What other questions you have about about morals or absolute moral standards, that kind of a thing, or you know, just in general, what's going on right now? Like we said, we don't have all the answers, but we can pretend and we can say things and we can talk and sound smart. But uh, what other questions do you have? You know, one one comment as you're thinking about questions that you can ask, feel free to type a question while we're talking. You don't have to wait for us to stop talking. You can write the questions in, and we'll get to it as soon as we uh, as we come up for air. But one of the things that I think is is important um, to remember, Amy, is that only I mean only people, and even and even in this case, not everyone does this perfectly. But it's only people who have the power of God living in them that are able to live up to God's standards. And so um, we can't we can't do it in our own strength. If we could live up to God's standards on our own strength then Jesus wouldn't have needed to come. There would have been no need for a Savior, no need for a sacrifice. And so because we can't do it on our own strength and our own power, we can't. there's almost no way for us to expect non-believers to be able to live up to any kind of moral standard that they don't have the power to live up to. So when, when unbelievers, when people outside the faith you know, are, are living this way, people who you know, use bad language, you know, they're, they're not Christians. Now, if they're Christians, that's different. Within the church, I think we have a responsibility to help hold people up to, to God's standards in a loving way, not condemning, but, but uh, in, a, in an encouraging way. But outside the church, people who don't believe, there, there's really nothing we can do, nor I would probably argue, should we do? Uh, I, don't, I, don't think it, I don't think it's really right for us to try to impose moral standards you know, especially the whole moral, the whole morality of Christianity, to try to impose that on non-believers would almost be oppressive. Yeah, because they can't they can't meet those standards right. without God's help. Now we could argue. I think we could argue. The more you live, even as a non-believer, the more you live in line with God's morals, the more your life is going to thrive. The more mm-hmm. you're going to experience the goodness of God, because um, that's how God designed the whole structure to work. God created the entire earth on the foundation of his wisdom, on the on the foundation of what he decided was right and wrong. And so if everything's built on God's right and wrong, then, then the more you live according to God's right, the more you will find human thriving. The more you live against God's right, you'll, you'll struggle and have strife. But um, it's not something we can demand or expect of people. Victoria asks, would you say that the way people are shopping right now is a reflection of their internal morals? 
taking too much and not leaving enough for others. So um, is, is buying too much toilet paper and not leaving toilet paper for others who don't have toilet paper, is that a reflection of somebody's inner morals? What do you think? I think he, the short answer is yes. Um, but it's always there, you know, there's ramifications that make it a worthy topic to think about, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, it's greed. And the Bible identifies greed as idolatry. And the idol you're worshiping at that moment is yourself. And uh, there's a great deal of value in looking out for the interests of other people. As, as believers, we're commanded to do that because it's good for us. Um, we understand the sense of panic that people feel. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it comes from not having a, a God you, you can trust, or even if you believe in God, you don't really know Him, and so you're not trusting him we're told that god will take care of us and so we can uh freely uh share with other people and it's 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 frustrating that it's so easy to fall into that frame of mind that we do it ourselves all the time without even realizing it Mm -hmm. but it's just a reflection of the fact that we still need to grow as people and and let god teach us so is it is it wrong to be prepared? And mm. what what's a and what is a what is a rational level of preparedness? If it if it's not wrong, if it's okay to be prepared, how how far is it rational to be prepared? And then at the same time, um, at what point do we do we cross a line into hoarding or 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 taking from others who who it's not even stealing? We're just we're you know we're paying for it. People right. are paying for it. They're not walking out of the store with it like you see in all the zombie movies. You know, they they're, they're actually paying for it at the counter and waiting in line. So, so in one sense, it's not wrong because they're 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 abiding by the rules of, of society. But but in the other sense, we've all you know a lot of us have seen the pictures on on Facebook of of senior citizens going shopping and then finding nothing when they get there, which a lot of stores. In our area now and around the country, have created special shopping times for people sixty and over, so that they can get what they need. But is it wrong to be prepared? And at what point does it cross the line? Well, uh, panic shopping is actually not being prepared, right? <laughs> uh, and 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 it could be easily avoided by by taking into account what what might we need. Um, I can't help but thinking of um, an episode of The Simpsons where Ned Flanders builds a shelter for his family and they discover uh, a meteor coming toward the earth. It's going to collide with the earth. And so now everybody wants to get into Ned's shelter. And, you know, as, as a Christian, he can't keep them out of the shelter and force mm-hmm. them to stay out. And so they all come in and there's only room for everyone but one and so who's going to sacrifice themselves they can't shut the door unless one person leaves is i think what the situation (laughs) was and so ned flanders volunteered and and he leaves the shelter and and so they close the door and they're all excited but pretty soon uh you know a pall comes over the atmosphere in there and they're starting to feel guilty because Ned's out there and his family is still in there and they can't look at his family. <laughs> so one by one they all end up end up leaving and 
and Ned has gone up to the top of this hill where he could see the meteor collide with the earth and they all come up and, and join him as he's, as he's singing the song uh, uh, C'est la vie I think it was um, but uh, it, it just it just reminds me that that selflessness and many people become selfless during time of crisis. Uh, you just see it time and time again. It's not at all like the movies, even where people have have forced evacuations because of the hurricane, and you see see the lines of cars and the freeways become parking lots as people try to evacuate. But there's no panic. In, like they always have in the movies or in the mm-hmm. books. And there's something very noble about people that I think comes from being made in the image of God. People know their worth, and people know other people are worthwhile. And, and when really pressed, you often can see the cream come up to the top. And it's also a fact that in times of crisis like that, crime goes significantly down. You know, after 9-11, I remember they were saying there's practically no crime in New York City for several days mm-hmm. because there's something inside people. And that's the thing that God uses when we allow him into our life to turn us into something really noble. Yeah, so Shad says, I think of what Jesus says, love thy neighbor. Do our actions reflect that? That's a good question. Victoria asked or said right after that, uh, what, is the, what is the rational level of preparedness? I think I think I ask myself that every day. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and like like Jim said, rushing out at the last minute to buy up all the supplies isn't being prepared. Right. <laughs> so, um, and what other questions do you have? That was a good question, Victoria. Thanks for asking that. Any other questions that you have about about morality or just in general things that are going on in the world right now that we can do our best to to give you some. Uh, some way to think about rationally or scripturally. We'd love to answer those. While you're thinking or while someone's typing, I want to uh, remind you of a couple things coming up. That tomorrow, as long as everything works, uh, Jim's going to be on Facebook at 10 o'clock in the morning to do some scriptural encouragement. And if you've got something that you would just like uh, to know, is there is there a scriptural... Some, is there something in, in Scripture that can encourage me with this thing that I'm dealing with? And you can get on, and Jim will uh, answer those questions, take care of those questions. He's great at that kind of thing. He's uh, got a lot of good Scripture knowledge there. And then uh, Sunday at 10 a.m. will be our our live our live service on Facebook right here, same place, facebook.com slash 68church. We won't have these same technical difficulties. Part of the reason we have... We're having problems here is because we're setting up in a different area than where I have normal all of my equipment and because we're recording the audio and doing video at the same time and my computer is nine years old and it can't handle that very well. So <laughs> it, it struggles when, I, when I'm when i trying to do too many things. But we'd love to have you join us Sunday morning right here and and invite somebody. Invite somebody that you know to come come uh, participate. It's a, it's a highly participatory service interactive it's not uh it's not our normal it's not like a normal church service you might get when you come to attend in person we're working hard to make it as interactive as possible and take advantage of of this opportunity we have to do uh, a facebook interactive service so and we were just brainstorming that before we hopped on here and that's part of why we were behind um but 
So we'd love to have you join us for those two things. And it's a great thing because at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, you can be in your pajamas, in your bed if you want, and still hop on live and participate um, and join us that way. So if there were excuses for not coming to church on a Sunday morning, there's not a whole lot of excuse now. Yeah, The, the bar is really pretty low for coming to church on a Sunday right now as we, uh, as we do this online online service. So any other questions before we wrap up? Feel free to throw them on there. But do you have any other thoughts? Um, not really. Other than other than the fact that a lot of times the philosophical arguments behind what we're talking about are really excuses not to just deal with your life and how how you live around other people, uh, because all all of these standards are really God's way of telling us how to get along with each other, how to have a positive impact impact on other people's lives. And, uh, you know, we believe in dignity, treating everybody with dignity and respect. I like using the term vulgar when we're talking about language because vulgar simply means common as opposed to the, the least valuable people in society. It comes out of class society where the common people were the lowest people and they were the ones without value. And vulgar language or vulgar behavior, it always devalues people. It always devalues people. And our job with the things we say and the things we do is to value them, not just in our own minds, but to help them know that they have value. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why the image of God is such a big thing for us as a church, because we we believe every every human being yeah. is made in God's image. That's what Scripture teaches. So every single person on the planet, regardless of any classification we could give, deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. They don't deserve vulgar treatment. They don't deserve least common denominator treatment. They deserve uh, God's God's level of treatment. So that's one of the values we have here as a church. But since I'm not seeing any more questions, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. But we'd love to see you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Uh, here, same place, facebook.com slash 68church for Jim's scriptural encouragement. And then on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for our, our service where we're uh, working on some interactive elements to do a lot of things. We're going to have fun. Uh, we're going to get, uh, do our best to get everybody involved uh, uh, throughout the course of the morning and uh, and have a, a good but also meaningful and hopefully inspiring time together on Sunday morning. So have a great week, rest of your week. See you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock.